Forgive me for the sniffy voice. Uh, I was a little sad in the last few hours. Um, so I'm going to start off the show a bit off script, but also on script. About a few hours ago before recording, I got news that G4 closed its doors and every employee from the hosts and talent to the producers and writers to the business makers and managers and production offices, they just lost their job. To make it worse, they found out through Twitter from Wario64 or from Deadline. Not from the company themselves, not in a company Slack, nothing. That is fucking terrible. And I hope every person I've ever gone to know bounces back and does something amazing. This week's article is about game journalism not being what it used to. It was already recorded and everything. So congrats, free audience. You are getting two articles this week. If you want to support me, I am on Patreon at patreon.com slash Jordan Haas, and I hope to plug many of the recently laid off people here in the weeks ahead. But for now, let's talk about me. I, I still somehow have a podcast where I give opinions and read them, and, and maybe you'll like them. This is the closest thing to hosting and writing and I guess now journalism. I could do at the moment, given my own limitations and my own frustrations. G4, to me, seems like a smart idea. I think the need for a journalist market is still necessary. And yes, even a comedy clubhouse like they were aiming for. However, the budget that they spent on building out the offices is more than Upright Citizens Brigade in the same amount of reception as a high school theater play. I already can read the internet and hear the reactionary asshole say, It's because it went woke, or it's because of Frosk. But if you believe any of that bullshit, you should know it's not the case. Reactionary conservatives will make content for people to react to and knee-jerk get angry. This is Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity, and they are effective at communication to their audience. But maybe they aren't the target audience for a progressive skewing news show like last week tonight. However, there is a concession. Those places spent years trying to cultivate an identity. Those reactionary numbnuts don't have the finances of a multi-billion dollar operation to worry about. And if the off chance they do something apparent, we'll double down with an are you triggered snowflake, like a dad throwing beer bottles at the TV, finding out gays can get married. No. The simplest reason G4 went down boils down to something I've said time and time again. Communication. If you notice the news, the people found out through Twitter. That's not Slack. That's not a company email or even a meeting. Just thanks. And if that's at the top of the ladder, what about when they were active? What about all the deals that took place, new hires, objectives, and goals? If people lost their job or were having expired contracts they knew day of, that's it. Barely any time to say goodbye, and that included when talent like Kevin Pereira left the company. 
Besides the poor communication with company, it's all around. From unsure about streaming schedules, unsure about what the services should be, it seems like everybody there was working last minute on everything and when met with criticism from the community and not from the It's Woke dorks, but from people concerned about direction and branding, was met with pushback. They were told everything is good, but it turns out, no. It's not good. And the sad part is the community and fans, which is the secret sauce, is left confused tonight, just as much as its former employees. If you want my take, the original idea was esports. It's Comcast Spectacore. It's the sports channel. But the licensing and clearance was getting pricey, and when you don't have much to air on TV cable because of COVID, the pivot was to push the backup shows, X-Play, Attack of the Show, and its two new shows, Invitation Party and Boosted. Boosted was an esports news show that was stemmed from the Bleep Esports Show, a comedy news show from Ovley May and Frosk, but now with commentator Golden Boy. There's just a problem. They can't air esports clips or secure gaming content because TV rights to air games is challenging. This isn't the show they wanted, but for a while, felt like a classic G4 show about multiplayer video games like Smash Brothers and Valorant. Even though I think the original idea was to be the daily show, get clips from streamers, see players do meltdowns, commentators say really awkward small talk, and pair it up with skits and jokes to make it accessible to everybody, it just didn't happen and was the first show to go invitation to party was a really good D tv show hosted by d dave walters and they had iffy and xander D twitch vets playing with Casim g frosk and fiona nova as they go through Waterdeep and learn about the underground societies and come face to face with the great and powerful thanathar it actually had a great audience outside of the typical G4 fan and was the most watched content, even if it was around 40,000 at its highest turnout. And like every successful show with great lighting and music and story, they pulled it. No season two. And if asked, they are told it's happening when it isn't. So another bad business decision, not continuing with a successful show. Maybe it's cost or something. Then we can get to the G4 classics, Attack of the Show and X-Play. Attack of the Show was a daily hour show on television, and it was this chaotic variety show. There's news, there's interviews with celebrities, there's internet videos and gadget reviews and surprises. But the show isn't that anymore. As the network decided it's Twitch first, cable second, the show isn't exactly going that direction anymore. Instead, I would compare it to a podcast studio with the occasional Jimmy Fallon game. Yes, there is internet clips and the feed, but with the focus now on VR Pictionary or Pickleball or playing hide-and-seek inside the studio like it's the Korean comedy series Running Man. If you wanted the news and nerdy talk, there was Vibe Check and Fresh Ink for Disney Plus recaps and specials here and there, but they're more low-key than what is expected. The show was done daily for an hour, sometimes pre-taped, and is now a must-be-live-on-Twitch-for-two, sometimes three hours, even if the final broadcast is only edited for an hour. A Twitch audience isn't a YouTube audience. It isn't a TikTok audience, and G4 thought that they could have it all, and in many parts, 
burn out its crew members who try to do everything at the same time instead of sticking with one segment. They really did bust their ass with content and comedy, but it wasn't until the closing weeks when the feedback existed that we get this great new show from the company. And even then, to reciprocate the earnings, they need six-figure viewers constantly, and there isn't a subscription service to watch exclusive content like what Giant Bomb and Rooster Teeth would do. There isn't a built-in audience like Kind of Funny, so to expect those kind of results of like-minded websites in such short time and enough to break even is very risky, especially when you're always against a guy with a webcam on Twitch. X-Play is still a great part of the new G4. Wonderful producers, wonderful skits, and a real love of video games. A show that let Adam Sessler be the Andy Rooney of video games, while bringing in the Black Hokage, Gerard Khalil, and Frost as new faces. While the feedback constantly was, it's not the X-Play I remember, because they're used to a 22-minute show with reviews and host banter, a show that exists on mainline G4's cable channel, it wasn't what users were getting on Twitch and YouTube, which instead was a 20-30 to 30 minute video essay or extended review that wouldn't be fully broadcasted on cable, but cohesive in its breakdown of video games. Or... If it's on Twitch, everything from gaming podcasting to game playthroughs with the X-Play branding, but without any real communication. This is an extended version of X-Play and might be used on the show. If G4 was about gaming content, cost was it. And unfortunately, closed-minded freaks just take a three-minute rant in January as the beginning of the end when there were hundreds of hours and of other content that proves them wrong consistently. Again, the problem is communication. If the audience wanted game journalism and the feel of X-Play like the TV show, a simple thing would have been to just upload the episodes. But understandably, the focus is instead on comedy and content. But when you lose a talent like Abby Russell, and then later you see hosts like Black Hokage go, both of which have publicly said it's management, that should be a sign things aren't okay, even if they are funny and talented folks working there. Did you know about FaceCheck? They had an esports show for the longest time, but little promotion on the network, even though it's getting more views than many X-Plane Attack of the Show videos. Did you know Scott the Waz didn't want to be a G4 host? He was just trolling, but wound up with a deal? Maybe vet the content creators you're trying to get. Hey, did you know they had a show in the works with Kit Boga that was meant to be an animated series, but because animation is expensive, got shortened to a 10-minute special? Did you know they hired Code Miko, but had been suspended from Twitch several times, only to be only used three times on guest appearances of Attack of the Show? In fact, the last big show they had was Austin Show and Will Neff with Name Your Price and Hey Donna. In fact, Name Your Price was even at TwitchCon this year with thousands in attendance and through Austin's YouTube channel has reached nearly 500,000 views. It actually is the most successful piece of content on G4 and it's not even G4s. When there was a major cut in crew members weeks ago, it was met with sadness. 
but there was attempts to make the concept continue working. The team at G4 really did fight to the bitter end to make it work, but if you ask me in all sincerity what killed G4, it isn't a Frost grant, nor is it even an abundance of content creators as talent or its branding. It's really simple. The investors wanted immediate return on investment capital, and the viewership and financial return wasn't there. No amount of decanter sets is enough to fix the poor management at the top of this. You obviously had really talented people working there, but it sounded like a high school clique mixed with trying to explain to your mom what League of Legends is and why it's a really popular global game. It's communication in the need for TV cable channels and collecting the small subscription numbers and not the need to compare it to Kind of Funny, Rooster Teeth, or Giant Bomb in its model is the problem. Honestly, there are big-time content creators, amazing talents like Gina Darling and The Completionist. They cultivated their audience for years, and even if this goes under, they still have an audience to chat with. And in its closing weeks, having producers like Jake Bennett and Emily Rose and having people like Vanessa Guerrero just try and do little projects like fighting game tournaments or a movie book club was what this place should have been at the very beginning. Bringing in talented faces and experimenting with fun ideas and being a content wheelhouse similar to IGN or What's Good Games or Mega64 or Smosh. You didn't need millions of dollars in a studio space and the need to promise everything to these internet famous faces. You'll be a TV star isn't sufficient if it's not in that many homes and your personal channel gets more views than some of the streams. I know. It's sounding very bleak and sad at the moment, but for most people from G4, it was never the last step. Many wound up in other areas. Did you know Blair Butler was a screenwriter for the horror movie The Invitation? Guy Branham was in Bros, and it might take time, but you will bounce back bigger and better, friends. It's not the outcome I wanted, obviously. I was expecting a reboot of Starcade with me as host and a gaming PC as the grand prize, but hey... You never know with these things. My hope is many of these talented folks make a content channel without the need of Comcast breathing down their necks and they bring in some of these hosts and talents to help out with building things together. Similar to how Greg Miller left IGN to start Kind of Funny and how Jeff Gersman left GameSpot to Giant Bomb and is currently running solo, I'm positive there's still a need for this bizarre content and if they can pull the resources together, we could see the next planet scum or nerdist. I'm sure of it. Anyway, let's start the show. Welcome to a podcast with Jordan Haas. I'm your host, Jordan Haas. Welcome. Welcome to the show. We are going to be talking game journalism today. And then later, uh, a whole lot of reality show bullshit. You know how it goes. 
How's it going, everybody? Uh, so, I I heard this whole week has been full of bullshit. <laughs> uh, I, I, I really... I, I, I wish I could just explain a lot of stuff that's happened this week. Um, but I'm going to probably save that for the news segment because uh, it, it just seems like just weird, right? Um, so, first of all, uh, I want to talk about some something I watched this week, which was the She-Hulk finale. This week was the finale of She-Hulk. And I will say it, if you want to laugh your ass off for a good hour watch it it is legit like the my favorite thing in all of the marvel cinematic universe it is funny as hell they it's not just fourth wall breaking it is smashing the fourth wall making fun of the whole concepts of marvel movies and the tv shows in general and i i just i went into it blind so it really made me laugh because i was so invested in like oh well what's gonna happen to jen what's gonna do? and just nope so it, it's such a great uh, thing. The Kevin robot makes me laugh. <laughs> um, and all I can think of is, what are you going to do for season two? Is it going to be like a dream sequence? Like, is it going to be like uh, just a fake, like a WandaVision parody? I don't know. Uh, next. Because uh, I just, I, I, I suggest people watch it because it's been great. Uh, another thing I have been uh, watching was on Hulu. Uh, Bleach, uh, the Thousand Year War is now available. I, I watched that uh, over the week, and it's a real. I don't. I don't know if it's an OVA. I think people are telling me it's an OVA. It's really beautiful and really good soundtrack. And I don't know half the shit of what happened in Bleach, but I'm watching, going, "Oh, look, th there's Ichigo. There's Ichigo. He's gonna use the the bonkais and 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 stop the ghosts." And it's, it's just been a really fun, heroic adventure. Um, I trying to like make sense of it though is weird. So there's like a organization that's the anti Shinigamis and they create the chaos or something. And, uh, everyone has a superpower. It's we, it's weird. I wish there was like 5,000 or so episodes of a show to tell me all this shit, but I'm not going to get around to it. Uh, next is, um, uh, Atari Mania. I recently played Atari Mania. Uh, it's a Warrior-esque game featuring Atari titles. And then, like, the gimmick is you start from, like, a Pong game to an Asteroids game. And then what if the Asteroids were an outlaw and an outlaw had, like, a breakout? It's so millipede. And it's, I, I wish I could say it's great, but it's just been frustrating, to say the least. Uh, I haven't found any joy in Atari Mania other than, oh, that's kind of clever in certain, like, mini challenges. But it feels like a Flash game with the Atari branding. It, it, it doesn't feel fun. And, and I'm kind of disappointed. But you know what wasn't disappointed was Hot Wheels. You know, there's a Hot Wheels, what is it, Unbreakable, un, Hot, Hot Wheels Unleashed, I think. And it's just this track builder game, and there's all of these little cars. And I remember I bought it like a couple years ago. I think it was a couple of years. It could be last year. Man, time is flying. Um, but they have put three DLC packs, and now there's a Game of the Year upgrade pack. And 
I I love it. The drift is like great. The boosting mechanisms are fantastic. Uh, there's a track editor, and you can share it with your friends, and they can come to your game and play your track. It's great. Like it is to me what I want in like a simple racing game, and I I'm enjoying that came way too much to explain like. Oh, I explained this publicly on the free version of the podcast that I really like the Hot Wheels video game. There's something about it, just like maybe the Bat Cave as a track as a DLC. It's just, it's just bringing smiles to my face in a way that I, it's hard to explain, and that's what I enjoy. It's just the the uh, just the amount of joy with playing the track and unlocking uh, other Hot Wheels. It feels like a it's like a Happy Meal when you you know like when sometimes the Happy Meals put in the those really cheaper Hot Wheels toys. They used to put like actual Hot Wheels, and now they have like these really cheap plastic ones. But it's it's fantastic. I I love it. I don't know how much it is right now, but if you can find it even on sale, I would recommend getting it on sale. Pick it up. It's really good. Um, which leads me to uh two of my my YouTube wormholes this week. Um. <clears throat> So, first of all, uh, the bombathon happened uh, recently. Giant bomb. I, I I have been on record. I have unsubscribed to the giant bomb. I have a subscription to Jeff Gersman's account and Nextlanders, but I wanted to give it a try because hey, Dan Records back. They're finally meeting up. It's kind of like a studio show. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the chemistry, the banter, the escape room bit, the getting in wacky costumes bit. I, I didn't enjoy it. Maybe it's because like all of the people there have like their own shit that it's like it doesn't feel like to me it feels like Giant Palm's just sort of like a hangout spot now. It doesn't feel like a content news and journalism website. And it just I I, I don't know what to explain. Like everyone else, like every person there I think has a Twitch stream that they do on the side, and everybody has like a YouTube channel it's like there's no real need so i'm watching this and i'm like okay is this financially stable now or or not because i have not had any fun watching the giant bombathon and even though i want like a return to big live live shows and i want a return to unprofessional friday in like a couch set it's not going to happen anymore and uh, that's kind of just a sad part of reality of content creation. It's just budget cuts and just it's easier to just get these people to work from home. To which case, that's every Twitch streamer does collab work anyway. So it's a big appeal of Giant Bomb in 2022. That's that's just how I feel about it. Oh, we have a podcast. So do I. Yay. Um <clears throat> But it was great seeing like the next lander guys there, like Vinny Caravella and Alex Navarro. So it, it it did bring a big smile to my face to see like a big hug from all those great people. Um, but I just it was one of those things where it's like it's a no from me, dog. Although it did get me wondering if maybe Dan Riker should just do a uh, a David Letterman style tonight, like a late show with David Letterman's type thing with Dan Riker as like the the host. And they just do those bits because those bits are funny in like small doses. And you could just easily just do that. Like, hey, uh, here's our big bit. And then like, here's our first guest and second guest and have your interview talk show. Because Dan's a really wonderful speaker. He's a good conversationalist, a good interviewer. Very funny. 
So I, I think it would work. So if anything, Big Live Live Show should just be a late show with, with Dan Reichard. Um, but I didn't really care much for the content, and I just didn't know many of those people enough to care. Or maybe it, I, I do, and it's just, oh, I'm tired. It also reminded me of the kind of funny uh, stream, because it's exactly the fucking same, by the way. It's here's a bunch of people with 24 hours of content and you do not really know everybody here and they're all being wacky and silly. I guess we're just in in like sweeps week because Rooster Teeth fucking did the Uno Infinite thing and like they also do 24 hour streams. It's just everybody just overworking now. Like we have to make sure you're around the clock doing bullshit all the time. Like I no. By the way, did you see that set? It's a really good set. Like, oh my god, that's just that set is beautiful. There's a desk, there's a screen, just fantastic. Um, but yeah, uh, speaking of Dave, uh, that's been my wormhole. Also, recently has been a lot of David Letterman content. I talked about this last week, uh, but this week has been a lot of Dave versus Jay. Like, I wanted to get into that late night battle of late night era. Um, because it has been a lot of fun seeing like uh, the CBS doing promos. Hey, Dave Letterman, same Letterman, new network kind of thing. But but also Jay Leno just going like, a, hey, you know, it's going to be fun. It's my friend Dave. And just like knowing like what the fuck is going on. And almost like this weird animosity. By the way, interviews with Jay Leno before he had the Tonight Show and he was just like trying to be everyone's friend. I like that Jay Leno. I will. I actually enjoy the. Jay. It's just sort of like when he became Tonight Show host Jay Leno, he kind of has this weird personality that kind of comes across as an asshole, and it's like I don't think that's what Jay wants to go for. Um, but it, it it's been a lot of fun uh, seeing uh, what is was happened in the history of late night, and of course he just watched old Conan clips and and Craig Ferguson clips because late night shows are still kind of fun in theory. I don't. I just don't know if they're going to survive, um, but mostly in 1993 late night wars because I really want to learn about a lot of the uh, the battles of television because I think here's my big uh, theory here: we're never going to see those again. You know, everyone loves the Attitude Era versus WCW wrestling war. Remember that? A lot of people love the cable news wars of CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, but I don't think that's really going to happen. In the future, I think we're what Reggie says. Every one of these competitions is going to be on the internet, and like everyone's competing with each other. In theory, what I just kind of want is just to be part of your RSS feed, right next to your episodes of Doughboys or um, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, right? Or uh, uh, probably no one. Uh, Inside Jeopardy. Uh, uh, episodes of True Crime Podcasts. We're right there. We're like a true crime podcast. We're going to talk about murders that happen in real life. Uh, a, a guy entered an arcade and he didn't have a, a single $1 bill. So he asked a guy if he could split a 20. And next thing you know, he was dead. How did he die? And... and I'm making shit up. Um, <clears throat> so next I want to talk about, uh, another thing was I had the, uh, another wormhole thing, uh, was, uh, some arcade videos 
I love arcades. I, ever, I keep saying this. This is my guilty pleasure. I love videos of people doing tours of arcades. Like, someone made a very good video of the Pier Noise Lane Arcade here in, in, in Los Angeles, Santa Monica Pier. That's, like, my one of my favorite hometown arcades. There's a Neon Arcade uh, right down the street that's just a wonderful family-owned arcade business. There's barcades that open up. And I love seeing videos of people showing off their local arcades. Uh, it could be mom and pops where it's just like maybe seven cabinets. It could be like a putt-putt golf arcade that from somewhere I've never heard of in Utah. And it's just like, hey, look, right after the this fun little fountain feature, here is like a great arcade. And then I'm seeing things from Jersey. And then I looked at a few from Japan, not just like the big famous ones like Sega, but like little independent, I think like Kyushu was the one I saw uh, of a beautiful, like it looks like right at the, like right at the beach arcade. And it's like a lot of faded graphics and then one of those little pinball machines, just beautiful. And then another in the UK, and apparently in the UK, they call tickets coupons. So they do have ticket redemption machines. They just call it coupon games, I think. Is that what they do? And they can redeem it still for like a lollipop. And all I guess you get Chupa Chup. You get a little Chupa Chup with your, uh, or Spider Ring. Uh, it, it, it's been a lot of fun looking at those videos because arcades have always been a part of my life. I love arcades. So seeing the international appeal of it makes me love it. If you have like an international arcade, please send me a link on YouTube or something. Like, well, I guess on Twitter or Discord or whatever, but send me a link to the YouTube videos. I want to know international arcades. I want to know what an arcade in, in Latin America looks like. I want to know what one in, in Korea looks like. I, I just, something about that just also just in, excites me in a weird way. It's, I don't know if it's like a hyper focus or something, but something about them just brings joy. Uh, finally, uh, Halloween is right around the corner. Boo jump scares. Also, all the crazy foods coming out, including the Halloween Whopper. I took a photo of that this week, and I wanted to come up with my food review. This is a free segment we like to call Jordan's Burger Reviews. Burger, burger, burger. Burger, burger, burger. I don't have the Funtime Calls theme songs. Jack, if you're listening to this, can you make me like a burger theme song? Okay, thanks. Um, <clears throat> so I had the Halloween Whopper. Uh, it's the spicy ghost pepper, ooh, burger with a queso sauce and bacon. And it was, has an orange bun with black sesame seeds. Ooh, spooky. So here we go. The, the black sesame seeds on an orange bun is a very clever. I like that. Better than the black buns to make your poop green. The uh, burger itself is kind of like a queso burger with like a ghost pepper layer on there. The ghost pepper cheese wasn't that spicy to me. It was like, it, it had the same amount of spice as I would say like medium, medium level Pizza Hut wings. Like it wasn't that spicy. Um, the queso sauce though, I don't know if I'm the right judge for it because it was globbed onto the burger but by the time it got to my house, because I got this door dashed over, uh, it was coagulated. So it was kind of more like eating a cheese yogurt, like a cheese, um, like a, a like a cheese goo. Not, not like it. It didn't even stretch out. It was just goo. 
Uh, so I don't think that was what the intention of the Burger King burger was. That being said, though, I will say that they, uh, of all of the current fast food offerings, uh, the, the, the Burger King uh, onion rings are still really, really good. And another guilty pleasure of mine at Burger King, you, you, you probably already know this, those Sunday pies. You know, those Hershey Sunday pies? I mean, best pie in the business. It's like ice cream. It's like chocolate. It's yum. Get yourself one of those Hershey Sunday pies. Not an ad. Uh, but also, it's Jack in the Box time. And Jack in the Box has my favorite. It has the Jordan meal. Because they have monster tacos and the triple bonus jack. So if you want to order the Jordan meal today, you get the triple bonus jack. You get the two monster tacos and you get a large drink and it's a Coke freestyle machine. And if they have it correctly, you could get a Coke Zero of Orange or one of those spooky flavors. I don't give a shit. And that's a combo. You don't need the curly fries. It could help. But that's what I would normally get. Order the Jordan meal at participating Jack in the Box locations. That's not sponsorship. I just wanted to just uh, explain that. Also, if you're also wondering, because uh, why are you eating such, such fatty foods? I also have salad. I also want to remind people I do eat like healthy foods. I eat a salad. No dressing, by the way. I eat salads without dressing. But um, that's how I go about life. Is one salad at a time. Uh, and also just the delicious taste of like, uh, of like kettle chips sometimes. I like chips. Like that's, I, I would say like that's actually like besides like burgers is my go-to. It's potato chips. I want to try every little chip. Yum, yum. Um, anyway, that's, that seems like I'm rambling enough. Um, so let's get going because I know this article runs long. Let's talk about Gotham Knights. Sorry, what what the fuck was that music? <laughs> so sorry, I'm, I'm going off script right now. But what? I know this is supposed to be the Gotham Knights talk about game journalism thing, but what? that's the that was trailer music from Gotham Knights. Are you shitting me? <laughs> My God! Oh no! Oh, okay. <clears throat> Well, let's start. Uh, if you have been listening to the podcast, and let's face it, it's a podcast and a blog, and it's an oversaturated medium, so most likely, not really. You would know about some of my segments from the YouTube wormhole that I go through every week to my game reviews based on what I have seen online. So this week, I decided to slate it to record my Gotham Knights review. I pre-ordered this game for months, essentially ready to play it myself. It's out next week. And yet, it turns out, based on what I'm seeing online, the game isn't good. From 30 FPS on a console, to dialogue that's awkward, to live in La Vida Loca cover, it's a lot to unpack, but it dawned on me. People are getting advanced copies of this game, many of which clearly not for review, but the content creation bandwagon that comes with it. 
rather than debating advanced copies versus pre-orders and how it could backfire, because it's clearly evident on this one, and obviously game journalism at a steady decline in favor of SEO-driven content creation that favors outrage culture and clickbait over quality editorial, I decided to take this moment to put it into perspective from my point of view. I might be wrong about all this. There might be a truth, but it's all still a feeling. It's the Colbert Report truthiness, as it were, and kids, ask your parents about Colbert Report, because that was probably a thing in their college years. I, I come from a firm belief. Gaming is a place for everybody. Lots of genres, lots of indie developers and big AAA titles. It's just like movies and television, just a bit more interactive. Obviously, the industry has evolved time and time again. I've been listening to Game Boys to Men with Glenn Rubenstein, for me of GameSpot, also a really smart voice in podcast production and professional wrestling, and Jeff Gersman, formerly of GameSpot and the founder of Giant Bomb, who has recently left to pursue a solo tour on DopeAssVideoGames.com and energy drink reviews, because why the hell not? In this week... They were talking about being in high school or being a high school graduate at the time of CES in Vegas in 1992, a time before the E3 that you read about. And that history with Boof Babes, Nintendo interns sweating in Mario costumes, and yes, the expansive world of cons and events from the PAX and PAX East to the MAGFest and even the summer games done quick. It's always evolved, and when you think early on, there really wasn't that much coverage of gaming. And then you had your GamePro and EGMs, and then suddenly the internet boomed. Bloggers reigned. That was the world where I suddenly got slightly involved with game coverage. And then a slight bit of community blogging at Destructoid and Screw Attack before deciding, wait a minute, I could just get a WordPress and do it myself. Granted, I'm now on a Squarespace and really need to update this place, but I'm digressing. It's weird. Being a 30-something and seeing that internet revolution take place, from creepy MIDI covers of The Prodigy on a GeoCities, to now today with TwitchCon drama and never stop making content. And honestly, for the last few years, I have felt like giving up on just everything online. There's really no need for a Jordan to come along and talk about movies and video games. Hell, there are like a dozen game show podcasts now, including an official one on Jeopardy. I'm really not needed. I admit, there are big bouts with this constantly. Am I talented enough? Funny enough? Am I that likable? And I, I do think at times the answer would be yes, but it's more yes, but. Yes, but it's too late. Typically, I like to think I know my talents, but time and time again, my brain goes, but actually you don't because look at the numbers and like every social media guy out there, it just gets to you. You grind and grind and grind and try and perfect your voice and hone your voice. And by the time you do, you're well into your thirties and there are people half your age that ran and laps around you. Granted, they probably have an upper hand with the ability to afford a 5D camera and audio equipment and maybe even book an editor. But me, I'm still a one-man show. Wow, this is really depressing out loud and in written form. 
But today's subject is gaming coverage, and it's going to probably be a big recurring topic here. Not gonna be about ethics, because let's face it, those dorks just want social conservative opinions and not conversation about why representation matters. Which, if you are growing up in a mostly rich, suburban, middle-class upbringing, you would most likely ignore, and if in a rural area, don't give a shit because the world around you is constantly pissing in your Cheerios for you to care. It's a very, very niche subject, gaming. And now, with places like Twitch existing, the saying of everybody's a critic holds true. And in the social media age, is about gaming the system in really tacky or unsavory ways. That's where you get your low effort $15 to buy the best team posts or describe your favorite game and emotes, weak ass engagements in the thrilling hot take where you can find every opposing viewpoint online. Thing you like bad, thing you like problematic, thing you like good because somebody thinks it's problematic. It's just grossness all around. And unfortunately, journalistic websites cannot compete. So GameSpot covers Marvel movies, IGN recaps House of Dragon, and so on. Every place has had to pivot in one form or another. Again, this isn't to go, ew, stick to gaming. These places don't really have a choice. It's going to appeal to as many people as possible. That's the internet 2022. Giant Bomb reviewed Dragon Ball episodes. Nextlander has movie nights, and I could keep going on. Shall we continue with the content groups of the world? Rooster Teeth does similar with its content, as does Kind of Funny, but with a really cool set. I mean, did you see that new set? Makes my podcast look like a lemonade stand. And, and yes, G4 as well. Although, to be frank, I love Full Screen Attack and Fresh Ink, even if it's just recaps. Almost every gaming podcast is about 20% gaming and 80% everything else from movies they've seen, theme parks they went on, to just things they've watched. Looking at you, Mega64, don't forget the theme song. Did they help they play the theme song? Uh, Smosh will cover its stuff, as will fandom and probably every YouTube channel. Let's not kid ourselves. It's the consume vomit and then consume vomit strategy where all content is made to be consumed and disposed of, much like a McDonald's wrapper. You're probably wondering, Jordan, do you have a bone to pick with these people? And the quick answer is yes, because they didn't make me one of the Try Guys. But the honest answer is no. Every place I've mentioned have been doing this shit for years, and have had to learn to adapt with the times and what works and what's fun. And it takes a whole lot of trial and error, and they have cultivated audiences for that reason. Even though it's very creepy when people online try to sex in the city you with the people in whatever group they watch. Who is that Rich Evans in your group chat? Who is the Tim the Tatman in your friend circle? I have no fucking clue, I'm Jordan. If I wanted to play that game, I'll get on Buzzfeed or play role models on Jackbox. The point is, game journalism is decomposing in favor of online video content and podcasts. And for a publisher, it's easier to give a review copy to a streamer and pay them to play it than risk of a reviewer borking the Metacritic score before launch. Even with a day of launch or days before launch NDA attached. 
It feels like, and this is where I was leading all this up to, it feels like there are separate games being played, and it's all about clout, and it's a popularity contest. And if you are what many Twitch streamers and podcasters, the below double digits, you do not matter. And you should just remain the consumer. But unless you've cultivated your personality a decade ago, have managed to keep a group of friends together enough to get at, to not get at each other's throats, or have enough good looks to be a TikTok dancer or Instagram model, you do not matter. And if your tweet suddenly blows up, that's your only chance to plug your podcast, your SoundCloud, or let's face it, a company paid you 50 bucks to plug their company. The equivalent of a podcaster reading about Magic Spoon, the cereal with the same hint of flavor as LaCroix with all the mouthful of styrofoam peanuts. I'll probably never get sponsors at this point. I should probably plug this Patreon instead, but never mind. So here's the point I'm about to make. When places like Fanbyte and G4 and Game Informer are laying off people, and the piece like fandom buys some properties most likely leading to more layoffs, more and more people are going to be thrown into the same toxic cesspool as esports athletes who have retired and content creators who just want to start shit for the purposes of causing drama. The expanding on different areas isn't working, and the thought that this could be a viable job is slowly being pushed out the door. The more we are seeing feuds between content creators and the people who fund it, Twitch and YouTube, but I'm sure there are others, this is telling me 100% I do not matter. If I pre-order the game or not, it doesn't matter. Even if I like these comic book characters, it doesn't matter. The only people that matter are the ones that get that clearance in that advanced copy to maybe talk about and maybe play. But they are so burnt out because if they need to make enough views to break even or overwork themselves with six different podcasts and three YouTube shows, it leads to them stressing out. And the ones left over are the ones wanting to talk about the game, review and discuss the game. Even if they have been covering your stuff for ages, it's also seen as just a number in those circles. I'm not saying there isn't a need for journalism, accountability, especially in stories like what happened with Blizzard is extremely important. But the more everything is pivoting to social media, the FOMO of who gets the press kits and special treats, sorry, not everybody is a blue check mark with press agents and managers. Some are just writers who just decide to continue writing and just play what they want casually. And I guess it's a simpler life for many, but the more you're hearing about social media being important in hiring, the more I just want to continue being horny on main and liking all of these erotic fan arts and your zero effort shit posts like goldfish crackers that go hard. For me, I figure it's just an oversaturated market and eventually there'll be a time when I should just give it up and just quit. It already feels like me throwing $60 at a game before it's even out isn't as important as somebody with 2 million followers getting a copy and then saying, oh, wow, cool, over and over. So why should I bother giving a shit? The only positive, Gotham Knights looks like garbage before I can even install it. And while the compassionate game journalist and reviewer in me is saying, 
Have a heart, Jordan. These developers got budget cuts slashed, had to work in a pandemic, probably had to pivot after the Avengers game had similar reception, all while under a tight crunch. But the spiteful, petty, no company back, non-YouTube play button, not get the right connections tells me it's just a shit game and most people just watch somebody play it, see it's garbage, and never touch it anyway. And then watch them talk about Black Adam or something else. I don't even think I have an audience for this wall of text. And read out loud this wall of text, but I'll give it a go for just a while longer. It's this, or just cry under the desk and figure, wow, I wasted all this time. I really should have just been a math teacher instead. Or just another hack comedian talking about my yakking broad of a wife. If I had a wife, or a husband, or any sort of partner, God, I'm lonely. Alrighty, well, that's the end of the free version of the show. I'm giving you as much as possible this week, uh, free friends. But if you head on over to patreon.com slash Jordan Haas, the podcast isn't even over. There's a paywalled news segment featuring all of the news this week from the world of content creation. And if you love reality television, we're talking the mole. We're talking Taskmaster and we're talking the traitors. Three great new shows? Question mark. So hope you tune in over at Patreon.com if you want some more reality show game show content. You know where to find me. And if not, yay, I'll be back next week. See you soon. Uh, Hope you have a great day. Toodaloo! Why did I say that? (laughs) 